2 Corinthians chapter 3. I hope you're all fed up from this weekend of Thanksgiving. Amen. How many of you still have food in your refrigerator? Okay, I know we, we still do. Okay, we've got lots to spare. I think the truth be told, even the church refrigerator here still has food to spare from last week in the pie and pray service. So it wouldn't be a true Thanksgiving if there wasn't leftovers, right? Sometimes the leftovers are almost better than the actual thing. Sometimes, okay? But uh, needless to say, uh, we've had a good Thanksgiving. I trust you have been able to be, spend time with family and maybe with friends. And um, uh, hopefully you didn't attempt to try to spend it alone. Uh, but uh, we are thankful that uh, we have a, a good, good father, amen, and one that uh, we can worship and love and serve and, and uh, gather together in his house and, and acknowledge him for. Uh, what a wonderful privilege that is. May we never take it for granted. Second Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll begin looking this morning in verse number 1. Second Corinthians 3 and verse 1. The Word of God says, do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. In such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. If you look with me in chapter 4 now, and beginning in verse number 1. Therefore, seeing we have the ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I want to bring your attention to this phrase in verse number 3 of chapter 3, where the Word of God says, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ. This morning I've entitled this message, An Epistle of Christ. An Epistle of Christ. This word epistle is speaking of that of which it being a letter or something that is containing a message. It was in every other time that Paul himself would be writing to the people of the church and there would be a letter of commendation there would be some form of a letter uh, of greeting and, and really to begin that message of what he was getting ready to say. But yet he says this time, as indifference to each other time that he's uh, spoken to uh, the people of the church, he says, the epistle is not one that I can bring. He says, you are the epistle. He says, the epistle is not something that I've done. He says, the epistle is what God has made you to be. Let me tell you, Christian, each one of us are an epistle of Christ. Each one of us are to be carrying a message of Christ. You say, yes, the gospel. Well, yes, the gospel is to be carried, but I want you to understand this. In what way and in how do we become an epistle? This morning, my goal is not to tell you, as we have at many other occasions, to tell you to go forth and preach the gospel. I believe all of us would say amen to that. That's not to say it's not of importance, but that's not the message for this morning. This morning, the question should be asked to yourself, are you an epistle of Christ? And in what way do you become an epistle of Christ? You see, we consider how we become an epistle. We talked this morning uh, in, in Sunday school, I know in both Sunday school classes, concerning the Holy Spirit and the working of the Holy Spirit in our life. You see, the day that you became a Christian, 
and you receive the good news of Jesus Christ, you receive the gospel into your life, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes and he indwells inside of you. Yes, there's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and there's the choosing to abide in him and be led by him. But I want you to understand, the moment that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, at that very moment, the Bible says, you become an epistle. You become an epistle of Christ. You become a child of God. Someone could say, no, it was my pastor who led me to Christ. That's who I give all the credit to. No, it wasn't your pastor. It was God who saved you. Somebody says, oh, it was my parents who, who helped me to come to Christ. No, it may have been your parents who were instrumentally used by God, but it was God who saved you. The Bible tells us that the moment you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit into your life, and you then become an epistle of Christ. And in this passage, we are given a description in its detail of that of which is an epistle of Christ. It's not simply and only a Christian who has the Holy Spirit inside of them. It's not simply and only a Christian uh, who, who, uh, uh, is, is being, who is abiding in Christ. But as the writer, as Paul approaches uh, the, the people of the church, he brings into greater description of what it means to be an epistle of Christ. Let me give to you the first thing this morning as we find in verse number 2. Uh, down in, through verse number 3, the Bible tells us that an epistle of Christ is, number one, a testimony of the Holy Spirit. An epistle of Christ has a testimony of the Holy Spirit. What is a testimony? I remember teaching my youth group uh, as, when serving as a youth pastor uh, and would tell them quite often that a testimony is not something that you are taking and challenging somebody with. We used to go to school competitions and uh, are the preacher boys, the ones who would prepare sermons and things, uh, they, they would often have some kind of application after their testimony. And I had to tell them, hey, we're, we're not, this is not a miniature popcorn sermon time. Uh, this is sharing what God has done in your life and, and, and letting it be known to others. Sometimes we can more easily give a challenge with an application than we can actually uh, just simply share what God is doing. You know, sometimes what God is sharing in uh, doing within our life is not always something that's easy to admit to. It's not always something that's easy to say, you know what, that's God who's doing that. Or God has shown me this in my life. Or God has taken away these things from my life. Or God has meant for me not to have you fill in the blank. That's not always easy to fess up for. Because the truth of the matter is, in our own flesh, we desire to be up here. When in reality, God says as an epistle of Christ, you simply should have a testimony of what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. Here's the question. What is the Holy Spirit doing in your life? Is he simply just indwelt inside of you? That is to say, are you, have you simply become a Christian and the Holy Spirit hasn't uh, led you or guided you or done anything more inside of you? Or has the Holy Spirit so given you a testimony of a transformed life that when others see you, they can say, Wow, look at what the power, as, the, as is described in verse 3, the power of the Spirit of the living God has done in that person's life. I want you to understand that when we think of ourselves being an epistle of Christ, it is, the literal, it is literally God himself who comes to live inside of us. Amen? What a wonderful privilege that is. But how often we take that for granted, that, that God would give us the, the, uh, the opportunity to become a child of God, but then yet further, that he would come to live inside of us, that we would be able to have the opportunity then to carry his testimony, to be seen as a, a, a child of God who's working us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice what verse number 2 tells us of the influence of this testimony, the influence of this testimony. Paul says, ye are our epistle, written in our hearts. He begins first by saying, hey, how did you come to know Christ? It was through my ministry. He does not lift himself up to that because he turns around and, and specifies in verse 3 that it was God. It is God who, who uh, in, enabled. It is God who brought them, who, uh, who uh, allowed them to be brought to Christ. But then he says, notice at the end of verse 2, you are known and read of all men known and read 
of all men. You may have heard the phrase uh, that's, that, uh, that has been said, you may be the only, peop- only Bible that some people will ever read. Let me ask you, when others see you in your life, do they see a testimony of the Holy Spirit? Do they see the powerful working of the Holy I'm not. I'm not saying do they see you doing good things. Do you realize you can do good things without the power of the Holy Spirit? Amen? God says an epistle of Jesus Christ is one that knows that they have a testimony of the Holy Spirit. And that when others see them, they know the powerful influence that they can have on others, not in our power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Can others see the Spirit of the living God in your life? Or do they just see what you can do? Once again, we're not talking about anything more than the very fact of what God says that you become the moment you receive Christ. You are an epistle of Christ. But is your testimony ringing clear to others of his working? And, and have you understood the influence that you can have on others? And by the way, that influence isn't just a positive influence. It can also be a negative influence. What kind of influence, what kind of message is being conveyed from you to others? It's unfortunate to say that for some people, we're only known for being one specific type of person. Not for allowing God to empower and work through our life, but we're known for being a grumpy individual. <laughs> we're known for being an uh, a always joyful individual. Uh, we're known for being a person that loves to tell stories, a person that's a good worker, a, a person that is always talking about other people, a person that you fill in the blank. We're known for a lot of other things, but are you known in your testimony for the epistle of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? The Bible tells us that we have an influence. What kind of influence are you making? Number two, notice the author of this testimony. The author of this testimony, verse three, he says, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us. So Paul's clarifying that he was only an instrument. Catch this. He's clarifying that he was only an instrument of the true author of the epistle, which is us, when receiving Christ. So we are an epistle of Christ. Who's the author of that epistle? God himself. You know what happens quite often, and not just in churches, but among Christians, and I already made reference to this a little bit, but sometimes we give more credit to the preacher and to the pastor and to the parent than we do to God himself. I mean, we can sometimes look at uh, God-given authorities as being even greater than God himself and his word. Oh, well, this is... This is what my parents have always told me how I'm to live my life, and so this is how I'm going to live it. Well, what about what the Bible says? Somebody says, oh, well, this is what my pastor has always said, and this is what we should do, and, and this is how I'm going to live my life. Well, what about what the Bible says? Somebody says, oh, oh, well, this is what my siblings have told me that we always need to do, or this is what my aunt or my uncle or, or, or these people that I, 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 I have always listened to this preacher, I've always listened to these people. Hey, that's not to say that they're not used by God. But let me tell you, the true author of any progress which you make in the Christian life, the true author of any message or of any ability in your life is God himself. Amen? May we give credit where credit is due. The author is God himself. I know I can be guilty of this in my own life, but sometimes I can look at even my own uh, having come to Christ and I, I lift my parents up as though, Wow, I'm just so thankful for my parents. Hey, it's not to say I'm not thankful for them, but you know the person who truly saved me? It's God. And sometimes I could give more credit to my own parents before I give credit to God. Are you with me? Sometimes it could be that Sunday school teacher. Oh, that teacher always did these, this thing in my life. Well, who was the person, that being God, who worked through that Sunday school teacher? Who's the author who worked through that pastor, who worked through that, uh, that parent, who worked through that person in your life of influence. Yes, we can have an influence. Yes, someone had an influence in your life, but the ultimate author is God. And may we never lose sight of that. 
At the end of the day, God must always, in His Word, must always be the answer. And by the way, uh, sometimes uh, the things that man does are, are, are not always inspired. I, I know as a pastor, uh, and Brother Thornton, maybe you can relate with this having been in ministry, there's always that fear, uh, I say always, but there's, always, there's that slight fear of, of trying something new than what you've ever seen done in ministry. You know what I'm talking about? And, and when, you, when you're thinking like, man, what are my friends going to say if I try doing this? You know, like all of my friends in ministry. Like, are, are they going to think that we're like some kind of a contemporary church or that we've gone away from the old-time religion or we've gone away from the goal? You know what I'm talking about, Brother Thornton? There's, there's that fear that happens. And, and the truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, who's the author of any message or any leading that happens? It's God. My point is, we can become so hooked onto what we sometimes consider an inspirational leading or guiding or teaching from somebody we highly respect. But at the end of the day, if the word of God is not contradicted against it, what they say or have done, and even the influence which they may have had, is not inspired. Amen? The inspiration comes from God. And, and it is God's word that we answer to. Uh, we would say the same thing about our church constitution. Church, church constitution lays out that, that of which we believe. But at the end of the day, it's God's word that we answer to. Amen? Hey, if we get so hooked on to the Constitution, why do we even believe the Bible? We might as well preach the Constitution. We're, we're, not, we're not a cult. We don't have these set of order of things. We simply uh, and, and freely believe what the Word of God says. Can I get an amen? And it is the author, God himself, who works through us and who convicts and who leads and who guides and who ascribes into his epistles, that being us. The Bible says that there is an influence of our testimony there is an author of our testimony, but number three, stay with me, the evidence of this testimony. The evidence of this testimony. In verse three, the Bible says, for as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, by the way, that word manifestly declared means without question. It's without question that you are seen to be child of God, that God has already made it very clear that you are an epistle of him, not of anyone else, but of God. Verse three. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. So it was clear on the outside, it should be clear on the outside, that there is fruit of the Spirit on the inside. Are you with me? If there's truly evidence of the testimony of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's going to be clear on the outside of the fruit of the Spirit, which is on the inside. The Bible tells us, as Christians, we should be continually bringing forth fruit. Amen? What are those fruits of the Spirit? Just for sake of, of being reminded, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. When others see your testimony, can they see the fruits of the Spirit in your life. You see, the problem is, is we can forget that we are an epistle of Christ and the testimony of that which we carry, it's not of anyone other than the author of God himself. And we can so forget this that we're then known for anything other than the fruits of the Spirit in our life. Look at chapter 5 and verse number 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, that being agape love, a sacrificial love, a giving of yourself. Joy, that being a spirit-filled joy. Knowing what God has done in you, you're letting the joy of Christ being seen in your life. A peace, you're not unsettled, you're not worried. You know you have a peace that passes all understanding. Long-suffering, oh, that's where we start taking a step back. Wait a second. Patient? Yeah. Gentleness, the Bible says. Hey, uh, when you think of gentleness, you think of the, the gentleness of a, of a mother and a child. That's the context in which it is being given. The love and care that a mother would have for her child. There's one thing I've learned uh, uh, with, with my wife is that uh, you, you don't just have the change of husband and wife, but you have the change of what happens in my wife's life. Suddenly now there's a whole other instinct that's come out of her since we've had the baby. You know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one in this building who thinks that? Okay. Uh, there's a whole other instinct. 
I mean, her whole sleep has changed in its entirety. If the baby fusses, sometimes I don't even hear it, and she's up. Do you hear it? I'm saying, no, I'm trying to sleep. Like, I don't hear what, I don't, I don't hear those. But there's, there's a whole nother alarming because there's now a concern, a gentleness for those, for that to whom she loves. God says the fruit of the Spirit in the Christian's life is one who's gentle. You hold a baby, you don't, you don't be ungentle with it. Sometimes I just like to have fun with my son, you know, bounce him up and down. And I can't tell you how many times my wife says, be gentle with him, be gentle with him. And I say, ah, he's a man, he, he'll be all right, you know. But gentleness has that idea of, of we're not being so soft and unbold about it. So gentle with one another, loving to one another, joyful with one another, having peace with each other and with God himself, having patience with one another, and, and, and goodness, the Bible says. The very producing of our life speaks that of the goodness of God. Faith. Hey, you could take patience and line it up alongside of faith because a person that doesn't have patience has already lost their faith in God. Faith. Trusting in God even when you don't know the answer. Trusting in God even when you can't see the answer. Meekness. Meekness, you've heard it said, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is humility. Humbly approaching things. Temperance. You're, you're having control, not an uncontrolled type of an anger, but a control in your ability to, to keep your, your own self intact. How, how many untemperate Christians there are. The Bible continues. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ, notice, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Now, you know, I would often stop at verse 25 where it says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And I would say, oh, amen. Yes, let's have the fruits of the Spirit in our life. There must be evidence of the testimony of the Holy Spirit in our life. And I would say, amen, amen, amen. But notice, that's not where he ends. He continues. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, of provoking one another, of envying one another. Now, if you back up and you were to study Galatians 5, you would know that in verse numbers 20, 19 down through verse 21, he lists all the things that are clearly not fruits of the Spirit. And then in verse 22 through verse 25, he actually lists the specifics of the fruits of the Spirit. So why is it then in verse 26 that he gives something more? It's because it is these very things that keep us from having the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Vain glory. The glory of lifting ourselves or someone else up rather than the author God himself. Provoking one another. Knowing at the end of the day that what we're doing is only going to frustrate, yet still doing it anyway. Envying one another. Looking at something that somebody else has and desiring it for yourself. Boy, doesn't the rubber meet the road there? You say, oh yeah, I'm, love, I'm loving, I'm gentle, I, I, I'm long-suffering, I've got goodness, I've got faith. What about verse 26? Would that describe you? The Bible says, evidence. There will be evidence of the testimony of the Holy Spirit in your life. As an epistle of Christ, so these things must be seen. Do the fruits of the Spirit ring clear? Is there clear evidence? Is it clear, is it clear in your mind of the influence that you have? Can others see the author? There's no man, but yet it's God himself. You turn back to 2 Corinthians, looking in chapter 3 and verse number 4, we will continue. The Bible tells us yet the second thing. What is an epistle of Christ? Number one, an epistle of Christ has a testimony of the Holy Spirit. Number two, an epistle of Christ has their sufficiency in the Holy Spirit. An epistle of Christ has their sufficiency in the Holy Spirit. What does the word sufficiency mean? Sufficiency is an ability or a uh, competency to do a thing. The ability to do something. 
Notice what 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 4 says. In such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. You know, he's essentially saying, as having just met, given reference to the, the Holy Spirit who makes us that epistle of Christ, he says, our sufficiency is of the Holy Spirit. Once again, the word sufficiency, the ability or, or the, the competency to do a thing in all of life that's worth living, it would not be worth living if Christ did not live inside of us and we did not have his salvation and confidence through the Holy Spirit within us. Amen? The Bible tells us an epistle of Christ has their sufficiency in the Holy Spirit. Think about that word, sufficient. It's all enough. It's all that you need. It's all the ability you can ever ask for. Everything you need is right then and there. Here's the problem. As an epistle of Christ, is your sufficiency in the Holy Spirit? If all you had in this world was nothing more than God himself, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, would you say, that's sufficient for me? I'm content with Christ. I'm content if that's all that I have. If I'm not known uh, for, my, uh, for, for anything of myself, but known for having been used through the power of the Holy Spirit in finding my sufficiency in him. What else is there worth li in life worth living for? Notice the Bible tells us the inability of ourselves. He specifies that in verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves. We need the enabling of the Holy Spirit to be the epistle to all men. We need the, the ability of the Holy Spirit within our life in order to convey the message of Christ to others through our life. It's not just only simply knocking on doors. It's not just simply only going through the Romans road. It's through your life. The Bible says it's not on tables of stone. Fleshly tables of the heart. In other words, Pastor Miller is talking to many epistles of Christ. That we would be walking, talking epistles of Christ. That the message of Christ would be seen by how we live our life. And not just the efforts that we go out and give for them. The Bible tells us the epistle of Christ has their sufficiency in the Holy Spirit. And they understand their inability. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Matthew 10 and verse 20, the Bible says, For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. You remember Moses himself uh, who said, God, I'm not able. Why are you choosing me? God, I don't know how to speak before Pharaoh. I don't know what I'm doing. And God made it very clear that it's not about you. Stop trying to worry about how you can live your life. Stop trying to plan out how that you can live your life. God has already said, you're an epistle. That should be enough. Look, if, if you didn't have a dime to your name, but you, but you knew, know that you are an epistle of Christ, you have everything. Amen? The unfortunate thing is, is we don't live life that way. Life is always about getting and getting and getting, envying, provoking one another. These are the very things that are listed off which keeps us from having evidence of that testimony. Is realizing, is not realizing that uh, we are insufficient. It's not about us. This life is not about us. Our, our bodies, which we have on this earth, are not ours. The day you receive Christ, the Bible tells us, your body is now a temple of the Holy Ghost. Your body does not belong to you. Therefore, your life has already been given to Christ. But why is it that rather than being fleshly tables uh, of the heart and, and being an epistle for Christ to others everywhere that we go, through the way that we're living our life, why is it that becomes secondary? The Bible says our sufficiency comes from understanding our inability of ourselves. Number two, the unworthiness of his grace. The unworthiness of his grace. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse number 7. Here Paul speaks of the, uh, we might use the word infamous, but the known to be thorn in the flesh. Notice what he says. 2 Corinthians 12, in verse 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. That is to say, there was given to me something in my life which I did not understand. There was given to me something in my life which I wanted to be gone. The message, it continues, the message of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice. I came to God three times. Take away the thorn that it might depart from me. And he said, notice, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. We don't live the Christian life being portrayed as a weak individual before God. The unfortunate thing is we, we don't want to be weak. We don't want to be, in our definition terms, poor, without a job, single. You fill in the blank. We have things that we desire. But at the end of the day, God says, here's where your sufficiency should be. Here's where your contentment should be. If you don't have anything else in this life, and you have the grace of God, that's all sufficient. Amen? You see, because it's the Holy Spirit being given to us that is the perfect picture of God's grace. It is gracious of God to give us that which we don't deserve. To allow him to live inside of us. What a privilege and opportunity. An epistle of Christ has their sufficiency in the Holy Spirit. Where is your sufficiency found? I can remember, I've mentioned to you before, working at that lawn ornament company, and we would take the, the liquid concrete after having mixed it up, and we'd roll it around in wheelbarrows, and uh, we would have all the different um, moldings that were... Uh, you, you, the, you had the silicone um, and then the fiberglass around it to form its shape. And, and so you just pour the concrete in it and you take a few screws off after it was dried and you pull the rubber off and there's your, uh, there's your concrete piece. And I can remember we, also, we often used to go by and we would do what we call float things. Uh, we would top off. When the concrete itself uh, would settle, uh, the rock and things, the water mixed would float up to the top. So if you didn't top float or top off uh, that water side of things, uh, it, would, it wouldn't have any rocks, so it wouldn't be concrete. And when you take the piece out, it would just become brittle powder. And so you'd have to go over and float things. You'd have to go over and, and top things off. And, I, and you could really use the word, uh, and I can remember us saying, hey, that's, that's a sufficient amount. You put a little too much on there, or that's not enough, or that's just what you needed. That's a sufficient amount. That's all that you need. Sometimes we would shake it and you know, the bubbles would pop up and try to get all the concrete to fall down to its crevices. But there always was an, a, a sufficient amount. Just what was needed to say that it was done. It was, it was finished. Is that how you look at your Christian life? Not about I'm not getting enough hours. Not about I'm, I'm, I don't have these things. I wish I had this. Somebody else has this that I don't. Why isn't my life this way? is your sufficiency in God. You know why Christians uh, are, are contentious with one another, frustrated with one another, find themselves discouraged? Because our sufficiency is not in the very grace of God. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. God has given us by his grace, through his grace, the Holy Spirit within us, giving us the power of the Holy Spirit, making us an epistle of Him. And it is our sufficiency in the Holy Spirit that is found by seeing our inability, by seeing our unworthiness. Number three, by seeing that He is worthy of all praise, the satisfaction of giving Him praise. We've seen the inability of ourselves, the unworthiness of His grace, but then the satisfaction of of giving him praise. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, if you want to turn back to 2 Corinthians as 
uh, as we've just turned a few times from our passage. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse number 3, the Bible says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of our mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort therewith we ourselves are comforted of God. If you remember the context of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 1 he goes into great description of the affliction which he's facing from the, the, the churches uh, in, in, in Asia. In verse 8, the Bible says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant, our trouble which came to us in Asia. He's going into great description. This was a troubling time. This was a time which one would have considered how is life, how could life be said to be sufficient? How could you not desire more? How could you not envy more? How could you not provoke others? How could you not do those things? It was a very discouraging time, but Paul helps us understand that we owe all praise and glory to God for the enabling and or the comforting of the Holy Spirit. This is what he describes in verse 3 and 4. As we sing the hymn, the comforter has come. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us comfort, who gives us peace, who when allowing his testimony to be clearly seen and finding our sufficiency in him, we find all comfort in him. And because our comfort is found in the Lord, we should then be drawing praise to him. Is your, do you find satisfaction giving praise to God? Or do you find satisfaction giving praise for things that you've done? For things what others have done. Yeah, I remind you again, we have an author. Amen. God himself. Let's give him all the praise. Let's give him all the honor. Let's give him all the glory. Let's keep the focus where the focus needs to be upon Christ. We are simply epistles of him, given the comfort through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is because of his grace, which we don't deserve. It is because of his Holy Spirit that we are comforted. Let me give you the last thing here. The Bible tells us the epistle of Christ has a testimony of the Holy Spirit. They have their sufficiency in the Holy Spirit. But number three, the epistle of Christ is a minister of the Holy Spirit. Look at 2 Corinthians 3 and verse number 6. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. You've been attending on Wednesday night. You would know that uh, we have been studying through the book of Hebrews. And all through the book of Hebrews, you find uh, the, the law being described by Paul as being a, only a shadow of things which are to come. And where that entire book and it's, is, is so full of describing the shadows and the things which have actually come concerning Christ and how that sacrifices and the Ten Commandments are no longer necessary because we have the whole Word of God and we have God Himself we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. As that message is conveyed in that book, so we see the message being partially conveyed in chapter 3 from verse 6 down through verse 18. And, he, and what he's trying to do is plead and help the Jews to understand that here you're holding to the law as something as that which is so necessary for life, as something that which is so necessary for even uh, your own salvation. When he says if you fit, simply find your sufficiency in the Holy Spirit, you don't need those things anymore. They're only but a shadow. He says you are the, the, an epistle yourself. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Those things are no longer necessary. And then he brings us to chapter 4. Now again, understand that the chapters are not inspired by God. As we see the division that's given here, but yet a continuing of the message. Notice verse 6 to begin. He says, Who also hath made us able ministers. Verse 1 of chapter 4 now. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. So he's just spoken of the fact that we are ministers who then have a ministry. So what is the therefore, therefore? Therefore, seeing we have the ministry... As we have received mercy, notice the first thing, as a minister of God, we must refuse to quit. We faint not. We faint not. The Bible tells us 
if, if you are an epistle of Christ, you're going to keep going. You're not going to quit. Remember the context of 2 Corinthians, as I just mentioned to you. He has talked about the times of discouragement. Hey, Christian, are we not living in times of discouragement? Amen? Are we not living in times of discomfort? Do things in life in general not come that we don't understand but simply are discouraging? Yes, they come. What does God say in this passage? What does Paul say in this passage? He says, we think not. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep serving the Lord. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to keep doing what God is, has, has intended for me to do as an epistle of Christ. I'm going to convey a message of the Comforter who has come, who lives inside of my life. I'm going to be a walking, talking epistle. I'm not going to allow those things to be held up inside of my heart. I'm going to be finding instead a sufficiency of having all that I need in God himself. Not going to quit. Second Corinthians uh, in, in chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, As we have received mercy, we faint not. That mercy of God. In chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, in so much that we despaired even life. You ever been to those times of life where you just, you sigh and you say, oh, I'm just ready for this day to be over. Right? I'm not even looking forward to these things. Here's what Paul says. I refuse to quit. No matter what I face in life, I'm an epistle of Christ. I'm going to keep my head up. I'm going to keep myself focused. I'm going to keep myself encouraged in God. I'm going to let the fruits of the Spirit be seen in my life. And I'm going to let myself be, a, be a, a person of influence through the testimony of the Holy Spirit. He refuses to quit. Christian, let me ask you, have you quit? Are you quitting? Have you given up? I know I, I, I've been... It was just told recently, hey, keep your head up. Keep your focus right. Don't quit. Stay at it. You're not always going to know the answer. Things, you, don't always, you don't always know why. There are always going to be things that you don't understand which you can't help. Maybe it's something that you've done. Maybe it's something that somebody else has done towards you. You don't understand why. Why are these things happening? I'm discouraged. I'm frustrated. Paul says, I despaired even life. I was ready, I mean, I was ready to quit. I was ready to throw in the towel. But as he's talking with the people, he's helping to understand, I found my sufficiency in Christ. I saw that I have a testimony of Christ. And in seeing those things, I realized that I am simply to be a minister of the Holy Spirit. And a minister of the Holy Spirit doesn't quit. He keeps going. A minister of the Holy Spirit, he keeps himself focused. He keeps himself going and encouraged. Remember, as we just read, we have the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, who comforts. What more do you need? Amen? What more do we need in life when all that we have is Christ? He refuses to quit, but number two, he refuses to deceive others. He refuses to deceive others. 2 Corinthians 4, and verse number 2 but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine in them. Paul says, hey, for me not to live with the testimony of Christ, for me not to live uh, with, as being a minister of Christ with my satisfaction and sufficiency in Christ, is to hide the gospel from others. Notice what the verse says. At first reading of it when I was preparing these things uh, for this morning, I had misread the verse, misunderstood the verse. The Bible says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. He's giving the description of the false teachers. The false teachers were deceitfully teaching something that was not true, and in therefore teaching that, was not, that which was not true, they were allowing the gospel to be hid 
from those who'd never heard. And he's giving this comparison. He says, hey, I will do the very same thing when I allow myself to not uh, be an epistle of Christ, nothing more than a testimony of him, nothing more than finding my sufficiency in him, nothing more than a minister of him, because it is when those things are applied to my life that I'm not deceiving others, but that the gospel is clearly conveyed. The gospel is hid from others when we lose sight of the fact that we are an epistle of Christ. The gospel is not hid in the message which we can say from our mouth. The gospel is hid in the message which we say in our entire life. We are an epistle of Christ, a temple of the Holy Ghost. We are to be nothing more, the Bible tells us. Satan used these false teachers to blind the people of the gospel, to redefine his word. May I say, sometimes as Christians, we can even deceive others because we, we redefine even God's word. We can redefine God's word. Stay with me. I know there's noise and distraction. You can deceive even unintentionally. You can deceive someone into believing that something is true, but yet it's truly not biblical. By holding to something stronger than God's word itself. The Bible says, at the end of the day, here's what's important. It's the gospel. It's not allowed anything else in life to distract, to frustrate, and anything in our life to deceive anyone other than seeing the clear message of the gospel through our lives. Through our lives. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. I wonder, have you redefined scripture as though certain things don't apply to you? Let me give you an example. How about faithfulness to God's house? Faithful to God's house on the Sunday. God tells us we're to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes we live as though it doesn't apply to us. Let me tell you, at the end of the day, you're deceiving others. You're hiding the gospel from others. Because the way in which you're living life is not according in obedience to God's word. And you're keeping an opportunity from others seeing Christ. Amen? How about giving 10% of your income in tithe? Okay, well, no one else would know. Well, others do, do see when you give. Let me tell you, others can also tell when a person gives. I, I know this to be true in my own life, and also you can see it in others. When God blesses a family because they're giving back to God, because they found their sufficiency in God. How many times we as Christians... We can redefine scripture so it doesn't apply to us. And therefore, in turn, we can deceive and hide the truth of the goodness of Christ from our own children, from our families, from our fellow church members. How about areas of slander, of gossip, discussion about other people behind their back? Taking God's name in vain, maybe? The very words which you use, being redefined as though the principles in God's word don't apply to you and you can do as you please. God says, we deceive. We deceive others. We deceive others when we paint ourselves and write our own epistle as though we're really something to be read. When God says, you're an epistle of Christ. The only thing that should be read from you is God himself. And the thing that should be clearly defined and clearly seen in big, bold letters in your life is the change and the transformation that the gospel has made in your life. You say, but, 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 not, it's not about the buts. It really, that, that's the problem is we, we give all the excuses in the book. We give every reason for why it doesn't apply. And Paul says, I can deceive others just as these false teachers. I might not be standing up on a platform and, and preaching it, but if I am living my life as though God's word does not apply to me, I'm hiding the gospel from other people. And I'm hiding the change and the effect of the gospel that it has made upon my life from other people. Amen? Notice the last thing. The Bible tells us he refuses to self-promote himself. 
verse 5, 2 Corinthians 4, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Could I just stop here for just a moment? I pray, Lord, that, this, that, that it would never be said of me that, I'm only, that I would only preach what I want to say. I pray, the Lord, that it would never be said of Community Bible Church that we would only be known for saying what we want to say and, and saying what we believe is true, but that it would simply be known that we believe the Bible. Amen? Because it's not about me. He refuses to lift himself any, any up in any way. He says, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in where? Where does it say? In our hearts. God says, I have made you an epistle written on the tables, fleshly tables of the heart. And in giving you and making you an epistle, it is then that you can shine forth in darkness, in a dark world, to let others see Christ in you. That's upon your life. As an epistle of Christ, are you a testimony of him? As an epistle of Christ, do you find your sufficiency in him? He's all that you need. As an epistle of Christ, are you a minister of the Holy Spirit? Refusing to quit, refusing to deceive others, and refusing to lift yourself up. With the very head bowed and your eye closed. Thank you for listening. I hope and pray that as a church, beyond just listening with our ears, that may we have allowed the Holy Spirit within us to speak to our hearts. I wonder if you're here this morning and say, Pastor Miller, God spoke in my heart about my testimony. My testimony the Holy Spirit is not what it should be. I've forgotten my influence that I can have. I've, I've forgotten uh, these things, and I've, I've let my focus become on the wrong things. God spoke to me about my testimony of the Holy Spirit. Pray for me that, that I will have a better testimony of Christ. Anyone like that here this morning, God spoke to your heart by raising your hand. Amen. Amen. I wonder if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Miller, God spoke to my heart because I haven't been finding my sufficiency in God. I've considered parts of my life to be insufficient. I've been pursuing and and working towards things 